X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Coming up this episode, we have all of your favorite contributors talking about books like Sword and X-Force. But before that, we have a special treat. Now, indie comics creator Joe Glass is probably best known for works like The Pride, Acceptable Losses, and his extensive comics journalism, but I know him best as a pretty awesome guy and an X-Men fan. So I knew I had to get Joe in here to talk about his favorite X-Men, his least favorite X-Men, and sort of his history with the title in general. While here, he told us a bit about his amazing new Kickstarter, The Miracles, which absolutely fits in line with the ideals that the X-Men stand for. We hope you guys enjoy this interview as much as we did. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hi, and I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Come on over to Twitter. Find me. I've got so much going on, and I can't wait to see you all there. Hey, everyone. I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Now, I'm so excited to get to introduce this next guest. I've known this guy for a while, but his comics have made such like every time i meet somebody in interested in comics they're like oh yeah if you're gay have you read the pride so you know like it's such an automatic thing it sits up on my bookshelf with my x-men books i'd like to welcome pride creator and writer joe glass to the show hi thanks so much for having me uh, anyone interested in following me online i'm joseph glass on twitter and at joe glass on instagram yes come say hi i'm happy to talk with anyone when i was telling everybody in our so we have a you know like every show we have like a, a chat going at all times to keep because there's like 20 of us now uh, connected. <laughs> and when we were talking, I said, oh, by the way, uh, some of us are going to be on an interview this morning. And they were like, oh, who? And I'm like, oh, it's an independent comic creator. And I sent the link to your newest Kickstarter. And people in the chat were like, oh, man, Joe Glass. So like, it's like really exciting for me as someone who's you know known you for so long and gotten to see you really come from like this guy making this queer comic on an indie level to, you know, you're a pretty strong voice in the diverse comic scene. And how did that all start? Like, I know that, you know, you started with the pride and I think you had other titles too, but like, how did this all grow into what it is? I don't really know a hundred percent. It still seems strange, like to hear you say that about me. Like, I still feel sometimes like, oh, I'm just making this little book called the pride. You've probably never heard of it kind of thing. Cause it's still like, I still make things from home. I'm still like back in the UK, back in like the home I grew up in kind of thing. Just so it's still just like this little book I did in my bedroom kind of thing. So it still feels weird to think that I, I got to that level. In terms of like, I guess the, the sort of journey, I started off making the pride. I literally just created like these little scenes and things when I was 15 because like I was a massive comic book fan, reading X-Men books in particular, but like not feeling like I saw anyone who was explicitly like me, like everything was a metaphor and stuff. So like I first create characters like Batman 
Batman and Wolf back when I was like 15, 16 and just writing these little scenes. And over time, like that built into like a whole issue. And it was actually some friends of mine, straight friends of mine, actually, who turned around and were like, saw me working on it one day. And they was just like, you, you should actually make this. So I got to thank them in a way because like they were the ones who pushed me to actually put it out there because I didn't think anyone would want it other than me. So that's like how the book started. And then the book was going out there. Um, and then it just became this thing of just like, well, discovering that there is an audience. There were people actually out there crying out for this kind of stuff. Like I was still feeling like I was the only person actively doing it because like I'd have people come to my table at like cons here in the UK being like, oh, right. So it's an LGBTQ comic book. That's awesome. That's amazing. Like, oh, do you have a, an asexual character? And like in the first volume of The Pride, we didn't have an ace character or anything yet. So, you know, I'd have to be like, no, I don't quite. But then I kind of have to also ask them like, have, do you ask this of everyone or do you just ask this here because we're LGBTQ when really this is a question for what should be in everything just got to this point where I was just like you know what maybe there's a point where I should challenge other comics to be out there sort of adding this kind of thing because there's an audience out there just not getting served um, so I think the next big step then was it's, it's so weird it came up in conversation the other day I went to a comic con here in the UK which was run by Mark Miller called Kapow um, it only ever lasted I think for two shows like it did one year and then I think it had a skip year and then it came back and then it was just gone the second year was just after the new 52 had started at DC and it was just after Dan Didio had done an interview with an advocate it was with the advocate in America and they were asking about like how like some of the characters have been changed from being like fat to thin or disabled to able to walk again etc so were we going to see any straight characters become gay and he in the interview he kind of said like that's the line we won't cross and I found that a really odd to say in an interview with advocate um but also just like why is that the line you don't cross like what was wrong with that I mean like Amanda Waller being a big girl um Barbara Gordon being disabled these were huge for people who identify with those sort of things so like why was being gay something you couldn't make a a formally straight character etc so anyway he was at Kapow and I had it I was exhibiting that year and I had it in my head that I'm going to that panel that he's going to be on about the new 52 and I'm going to ask him this question it was it is the only time I have ever asked a question at a panel um because I I I generally don't like doing that myself and I went up there and I I actually managed to get the mic and actually asked fully just like why is this the line you won't cross why why can we not see a straight character become gay and he revealed that actually they changed their mind on that and that there was going to be a formally straight character revealed as queer which obviously would then turn out to be Alan Scott um and it became like this media news thing like it wasn't just comics news talking about it there was like loads of like other outlets uh certainly here in the UK I think in America too and I was just feeling like hey I'm the one who actually asked that question does it does no one want to sort of ask why I asked it and that's when Bleeding Cool stepped in and next thing I know I've become an advocate myself for better representation in the medium and using all my time of Bleeding Cool and my work to actually sort of push that that's I, amazing. I love how much our stories are like oddly parallel in a lot of ways because mm. it just it makes that that point that you're making of connectivity and seeing yourself in something make you feel better 
because we knew one of our characters was going to be Ace and our, you know, the comic that we've literally sold sitting next to you at the same fucking table, right? Exactly. Kid Riot. <laughs> we knew one of our characters was going to be Ace in the first issue. And we just weren't at the point to have that character go through that journey. And people would be like, where's the Ace character? And be like, they're coming. And they'd be like, where's the Ace character? And be like, they're technically here. Will you give us a minute? Because like, yeah. when you have an audience so underrepresented and so underserved, mm-hmm. You can't blame anyone for saying, hey, where's my turn? I've waited and I've supported. And it's just so incredible to hear that you wanted to take something that you Mm -hmm. felt you weren't getting enough of and transform it into life. Raven, I know that's something that you've sought your entire life in creation. Yeah. (laughs) I loved comic books way back when um, I was slowly discouraged away from kind of being in the community because I'm fat, black, queer, and female. So yeah, that was fun. Um, But also, I really didn't see myself, especially as a queer person, uh, really represented in comic books. And it was like, you just got the same kind of set of characters over and over and over again. And I'm just like, I really want to be represented, but I don't I don't see myself anywhere. And when you would ask, you know, some of the people at the comic book stores, none of them could tell me about like any queer creators, any uh, queer writers or any comic books that really dealt with, you know, like queer superheroes. So, yeah, like you got one or two here in the major titles, but yeah, I'm starting to look more and more towards indie titles, and I actually want to start my own indie comic book with basically a spectrum of characters who run the gamut of queerness and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, ability and disability and whatnot. So I really, (laughs) yeah, I just read The Pride as well, and I'm just like, yes, this is what I wanted. This is what I've been looking for all this time so i'm i'm so excited and so pleasantly surprised to find such a wonderful story and creator out there actually speaking to me oh thank you so much that's very kind of you it kind of developed as i say naturally of its own like it was started off as me wanting to tell stories which i felt i wasn't seeing i didn't feel like i was represented in the medium which i loved etc and then like i said very quickly learning that there's a lot actually of people out there like that and a lot of identities and even from the very start with the pride like i knew that I wanted to do something which was like wasn't just a gay superhero it was an LGBTQ superhero team so that we could show mm-hmm. as much of the community as possible because I know like so many people would there's no one character who can represent everyone you know mm-hmm. so yeah we kind of add that and that was certainly one of the things which I do with the pride going forward with season two we added so many other elements which we didn't have in that first season to just sort of expand the amount of representation that's out there so yeah it's just something I'll always be pushing towards certainly in the pride and probably my other projects as well like oddly like every single book which i've done has lgbtq characters of some description in the book um because i just think like it's as you say there's like a dearth of it in the in the mainstream community and that's the worrying thing there's all these people all this audience out there begging for it desperately wanting to be able to see themselves be seen but like books like batman and things aren't doing it and they don't ask them about doing it because they'll just look for the lgbtq books but then like lgbtq TBQ books, no single one, again, can do it all. So it's a case of just like, this is a question you should ask of absolutely every book, because like to switch sides to Marvel, if you're going to be the world outside your window, why is this an incredibly heteronormative world? Because that ain't the world outside my window. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, we just saw that Marvel kind of owned up to recognizing a mistake with the recently released preview of X-Core, 
which mm-hmm. had to be immediately recolored while it's not a queer character. You know, it's sort of, it kind of takes me to how journalism and comics journalism has become such a hand in hand part of the comics industry. There yeah. was a time where all of your comics news came from Wizard, and now mm-hmm. that's not the case. And <laughs> Robbie, I know you're pretty heavily involved in writing for comics and, you know, writing about comics. And Joe, I know you have a lot of experience as well. I was wondering how you guys feel about sort of the state of comics journalism and comics going so hand in hand. I have a friend who's an editor over it uh, on a title at Image, and I one time made the comment of, you know, I, I'm starting to write a lot of articles. I'm starting to feel like a kind of more of a comics journalist than a comic book writer. And the response was, no, they're the same thing. You got to pay bills. Exactly. And so how do you guys feel about this emerging power of comics journalism in the industry? I love it. I love that there's actually becoming more and more of an increasing trend of like comics essayists out there who are like really breaking down and deconstructing books and, and, and sort of uh, and content and really sort of have an explanation of this thing as an art form. Whereas like, it, so it's not just the case of just like, oh, here's a three star review. Here's a five star review. Actually being like, no, fully, we're going to break this down. I would like to see more of it there's certainly it is a difficult in part of the industry because that's like i don't want to talk about comics reporting as a separate industry because it's it's part of the comics industry it's the same thing the one thing i would say which i particularly dislike however is that there is this sort of distinction created between the two sides like whenever i see like a creator being like oh if you are writing books you shouldn't be a journalist or if you're reviewing books you shouldn't be writing them or whatever i hate that oddly enough it's actually one of the reasons um i left the outlet which i was working for was because I was advised but yeah if you want publishers to take you seriously you can't really be working for a comics news site anymore so that's kind of why I left. One thing that I really like about newer things with comic journalism that I've been noticing is that at least through like Twitter and like a bunch of different websites is that we're starting to see a lot more like queer voices and a Mm -hmm. lot of POC voices Mm -hmm. uh, being able to write very different point of views for things that we haven't really seen other comic journalists in the past cover. And that's a phenomenal thing that we're starting to see a lot more of now. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's been great to see a lot more different voices um, being allowed to actually sort of work in the field. And, you know, it's so funny because I was just having this conversation with another friend where we were talking about how the point of diversity is to fit the needs of a group. Right. But when all of the people writing about that diversity lack <laughs> that diversity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. not yep. in the fucking funhouse mirror. There's no way in any shape, way, or form that that truly reflects the identity that's trying to be represented. And, you know, I personally can't tell you how much I love the sort of covering the books thing. I love having a podcast where we get to talk about mm-hmm. comics and, mm-hmm. you know, as we're evolving it and we're talking to more creators and getting their take, there's been something so powerful about how comics journalism has also allowed people to sort of reveal huge things about Mm -hmm. work. One of my favorite things of the last two years, like by far, is Grant Morrison's coming out as non-binary. I mean, number one, Grant Morrison is, you know, like the love of my life. Not only are, you know, they the best, but now they're part of the queer community. And Mm -hmm. we lived in a time, like, you know, not too long ago, where the idea of a creator coming out as non-binary or queer out of nowhere late in life mm-hmm. would be looked at ridiculously and mm-hmm. in so many ways mm-hmm. i think comics owe grant morrison for that a lot because grant morrison's progressive nature on everything they've done their entire career 
has been a really huge part of that. Now, I know for me, some of like the most progressive things I can think of in the X-Men are, you know, Milligan's Ecstatics or Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Uh-huh. And I kind of, you know, just like to have like a quick ask about it. Does anybody have like a favorite work where they were like, I've never seen this done before in a in like a major work? For me, it's new X. I had never seen anything quite so progressive out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? I just, mm-hmm. I remember opening it up at like 18 years old and being like, this is bad shit what do you mean fetus twin this is bat shit and i feel like that sort of progressive evolution of comics from the minds of those willing to put their necks out there and possibly have some crash ass sales were really the voices that kind of made it a little bit easier and i think about these people like morrison who also have forever written does anybody else have you know a journalist and you know blog kind of ideas does anybody else have any other favorite progressive works that really help them see yeah comics can be more yes i do rat queens yeah i i did not think that you could get an all-female-led team i mean it was my dream to see that but i didn't know that they actually existed and Mm -hmm. one day one of my friends went oh yeah you know what you should pick up rat queens i think you'd really enjoy it and it's this all-female-led team and their the the sexuality spectrum is very vast and broad and you know they they act like real human beings oh my god nuts i know but also they have a trans character in Mm -hmm. there and i just i absolutely fell in love because they told that whole storyline in such a good way they didn't follow tropes they didn't fall into the a lot of the pitfalls or pitfalls uh when it comes to uh telling a backstory for a character who's queer Mm -hmm. and to have a trans character was just oh my god and and this character was super badass too and i'm like oh I love this. This is so <laughs> fabulous. And just to see like the acceptance in the inter-character interactions. Like nobody made note of it. Nobody made this person a joke. Nobody was like talked down to because of their uh, sexuality or chosen representation of self. And mm-hmm. I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm like, this, 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 <laughs> this is good. Oh, I could definitely jump in with uh, Runaways. That was definitely a yes! Yes! Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, I'm not saying I possibly started going by Nico after reading Runaways, but I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah, because, you know, the phenomenal thing about that series is that it really shaped having, like, a diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And in that series, we had Nico, who's an Asian woman, leading uh, this team. And then we have Carolina, who was out to me. That was the first gay representation I ever connect with, mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. character when I was a teenager. So that's like one reason why I really resonate super mm-hmm. well with that series. And then also there's Victor Manka. He was the first, I mean, yeah, he was probably the first Latino teenager character i ever really connected with when i was same a, yeah i glomped hard i glomped real hard <laughs> and then there's just and then the rest of the characters in the series they're just there's so many different ways of how many different people could connect to them mm-hmm. i tremendously agree yeah definitely yeah. i i gotta admit like for me mine's actually pretty much nico's new x-men and grant morrison it was actually my first introduction to grant morrison's work if i recall correctly and i became obsessed with it and it, it was 
was just the way that it took an established concept, which I thought I knew everything about kind of thing, and really made it feel new and fresh. And like, that was probably the first big one to maybe discuss one which isn't the first one which I experienced, but I would say is definitely another one along the lines would be the Young Avengers run by um, Kieran Gillen and uh, Jimmy McCarthy. I'm holding it in my hand right now. Yeah, I literally just had to get another copy. I literally don't know what happened to my trades. But yeah, it's superb. Like the way it handled teen characters is so different than almost anything which came before. These were young characters who actually felt like they were young people, with the only possible exception of Runaways being the next sort of closest thing. And as well as that, it was the fact that there was so much thought put into the actual style of the artwork and things which were going on and really sort of experimenting with it. It was just absolute genius. And like I said, I think it was criminal that it didn't do as well as I would have thought because I thought this book was amazing and this book should have gone on and on and on. Um, But in one way, it is also great that it ended when it did because it became this perfect encapsulation artifact of of the, I think I would say, a change in comics, which happened at the same time. And we actually saw, I think, a whole new group of writers and creators sort of coming out who I think would all easily say that they were heavily influenced by that Young Avengers run. I'm going to have to steal you for our cover. We're going to do a deep video series on new X-Men, and now (laughs) I have to steal you for it. There's no other way. Now, Kyle, I know your journey to comics has been a little bit different. It's been, yeah. So, like, what works really, these sort of progressive works on the, you know, what helped you see comics in a new way? Can I make you cry? Oh, make me cry. Do it. I love crying. Crying is really fun. Okay. So, I'm relatively new to comics, and... As somebody who identifies on the ace subspectrum, Mm-hmm. Your comic, Nico, uh, Kid Riot, was the first time that I really saw a character that really seemed like me. So... Oh, I have to go. Um, <laughs> I left the gas on. <laughs> so, yeah, I told you. I told you. <laughs> yeah, uh, being a, I mean, that that was what made us friends. Me reading it and talking to you about it and, yeah. It, it really meant a lot to me to see some a character that made me feel seen. Mm. Well, so it's okay. And so, well, uh, so here's the thing. Now we're here to talk. Thank you. That was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna edit out all of my blushing. So uh, it no, does we can lead still me. Hear it. Yeah, I'm pretty purple right now. So. <laughs> So now, Joe, speaking of indie comics and indie comic creators, I'm a Uh huge fan of The Pride. I mean, I have my signed The Pride hardcover (laughs) from the previous Kickstarter. I know The Pride Omnibus is getting listed. I know that there have been some other amazing Kickstarters, but you've got one that the second I saw it, like, so the whole Kid Riot team has a Discord, right? (laughs) I have a lot of chats, okay? And as soon as Tori, our longtime colorist and penciler, Tori, who is a big fan of Joe's as well, as soon as she saw it, she was like, guys, guys how hard are you trying to back this already and i would love it if you could talk to us a little bit about the miracles because i am so psyched for this project awesome yeah so the miracles is actually a story i've been wanting to tell for as long as i've been doing the pride because there's an aspect about it's trying to avoid spoilers no you know what screw it but i think something which maybe people have missed slightly with the kickstarter today because it's definitely the broadest sounding project i've done so far in terms of audio 
audience appeal. But in terms of LGBTQ content, uh, and I think, yes, it is a Joe Glass book. Therefore, there is absolutely queer content and it's right front and center. So one of the characters actually has a coming out story um, because I realize that's not really something which I've tackled in the Pride. And yet it's a hugely important part for most queer people's experience of life is coming out. And more specifically, the whole period with their family and having to sort of of like feel like they have to hide things. In terms of this story, the the overall premise is that you've got this kid, Elliot Morgan, who's this sort of Latin uh, high school student who's a massive like high school uh, nerd for comic books and stuff. He's a huge fan of this one in particular, which just suddenly ended decades ago and he's just like really confused, who suddenly starts getting superpowers and then immediately finds out the truth of it. And it all stems back to his family's deep, dark secret that they're actually comic book characters that escaped into the real world and are sort of taking refuge in the real world in secret. And to make matters like even more sort of shocking for him, like the comic book characters that his parents were are the characters that he's most obsessed with. So it's kind of like about families and about secrets um, and the things we keep from our loved ones and why we do it, but also just having a fun action-packed superhero story at the heart of it as well. But yeah, it's also going to be an original graphic novel. So it's 120 pages of story. There's a trade paperback option, which is 140 pages, because I'm going to put back matter in there because I love behind the scenes stuff. Um, And then there's a hardcover edition, which is super limited. We're only going to print 500 copies of it, and it's only ever going to be available on the Kickstarter. Um, And that's going to be 160 pages, so we'll have even more behind the scenes material. Uh, Because as I say, I've been working on this for like 10 years, along with the Pride, and there's been numerous artists who've actually been involved here and there when I've been trying to think, trying to get it off the ground kind of thing. So we'll have like behind the scenes sketches from Zoe Furrigan, Chris Anker, Andrew Sebastian Kwan, and Gavin Mitchell, who obviously did the Pride with me. So yeah, there's there's loads of exciting stuff in there. I think people would really love the miracles. Mm. It's a big ask, this one. Um, but yeah, I hope um, people will help us make it happen. I mean, the talent you've lined up, though, like when you're saying it's a big ask, like mm-hmm. it doesn't sound to me like it's a big ask. It sounds like this is yeah. one that we need to see backed. I can't wait to get my hands on this. This sounds friggin' great. Having, you know, backed all of the ones before this, <laughs> I'm excited to keep backing it. I was wondering, for people who would like to um, get into creating comics, mm-hmm. what is something that uh, you didn't expect? Like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, or what are some things that you didn't expect in, like, the process of making a comic book? Um, I think the... <laughs> it sounds so daft now, thinking back on it and knowing what I know now, but, like, the expense... Hey, um, ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 it, ding, 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 ding. Particularly if you're a writer, obviously you're, you're like sat at home writing on your laptop or whatever, and you think like, well, that's not, that's not expensive. You know, I've already got this computer, like this is no sort of outlay. And then you think like, oh, I've got to hire an artist, and oh, I've got to hire a colorist, and oh, I've got to hire a letterer, and oh, we've got to print this thing. And it really mounts up, and I, you know what, paper is expensive. Paper's so fucking expensive. Paper was so damn expensive. Why? There's trees everywhere. Go kill one. (laughs) (laughs) Ecologically speaking, don't do that. (laughs) Right. And and like, you know, then you you start to get into the okay, but if I order a thousand copies, Mm -hmm. they're so cheap. 
I just need to build a shed to hold the books. <laughs> and then you also kind of think like, oh, right, well, if I get a thousand copies, that means the unit price of each individual book is like, oh, two pounds? Brilliant. I can, when I sell them all, I'll be in massive profit. It'd be great. And then you do a Comic-Con where no one stops at your table for a whole weekend. Oh. So you're like, oh, right. Okay. And like, as much as everyone has felt very much myself in my ego um, today, trust me, that still happens to me. Like, you can be huge. Um, I've, I've been at Comic-Cons where I've seen A-list comic book big names mm-hmm. having absolutely no one stop at their table for the entire weekend. So oh, yeah. you kind of think then, like, a lot of those shows, you think like, oh, that A-list creator has probably paid for their flight to get out there. Um, their hotel might have been covered if they're lucky, but they probably paid for the flight. And now all that flight is an expense. And there's been absolutely nothing to um, sort of pay back on that. So, and- yeah, it's it's an expensive business. We are, it's one of those things where you always go to a uh, breaking into comics panel and they say like, oh, we're at this time in the world where anyone can make comics and it's more accessible <laughs> than ever. And it's bullshit. like technically true, but also absolutely <laughs> bullshit. Um, <laughs> it is so expensive. I come from a working class background. We do not have things like savings. That does not happen. Um, this is why the Kickstarter um, goal is so high. I do not have savings, which I can put into a book. I don't have savings that I can buy my own flat. Um, I literally need to pay to get this book paid to get made. So like when I've got a £35,000 Kickstarter goal, that's because that's how much it costs. So yeah, comics are expensive. So I always say whenever it's a new creator asking about breaking in, I say start small. Do yourself just a single Yeah, like do yourself a short 20-page book, just a little self-contained story. That's the other mistake I made. I made The Pride and it was a six-part issue uh, story from the beginning and like I was sometimes going like two years between issues if I was to do it again they would be six single issue self-contained stories I dude same journey same fucking Mm -hmm. journey because Mm -hmm. you know you you say they have to fly home now but like my next thought was and if you didn't get through every book you're gonna have to check that fucking bag again yep you're not gonna get to fold it up and just put it in your other bag and now you're lugging all those copies home and don't forget the copies that kind of get damaged I have been there I have been there one of the last New York Comic Cons which I actually exhibited at before Donald Trump came in and made it impossible for UK creators oh. to actually exhibit at Comic Cons um, in America. Um, I actually had about 40 books left over and had to be like, yeah, I bought stuff this weekend as well. I cannot get this home. Um, so literally running around Manhattan trying to find comic shops who were willing to take the book off my hands. So yeah, that was a day. Oh, and it was Chris Columbus Day. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, fucking great. <laughs> I mean, I've also been sitting next to you where, like, that Saturday, I uh-huh. sold two books. And then Sunday, I sold, like, 60 books. And I was like, this just doesn't make sense. And then I look over, and I've seen you have the same weekends where it just in yeah. reverse. It's such a crapshoot because you just never know who's going to cross your table. Yeah, there's so much about comics, um, particularly, like, when you start doing Comic-Cons and things, you cannot really plan for. There's a lot of stuff you can plan, and you should absolutely go do comic shows with a plan but there's you need to have as part of that plan nothing will go to plan absolutely (laughs) you never know who's going to be like i want to introduce you to somebody come with me right Mm -hmm. now and when they say right now when your friend who's two stations above you says right now Mm -hmm. you drop your dick on the floor and you run (laughs) do you understand me (laughs) note to self go by dick got it (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, well, I have to know something. We have five huge X-Men fans here, and I would be a bag of shit if I didn't check and find out everybody's favorite X-Man before before anything else. I, I gotta know. Because, I mean, for me, it's not hard. It's it's Gene. It does, it, you know, it's, it's I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm... What a I'm, shock. Kel Surprise. There has to be a term for gay basic. I was basic gonna say, like, that is, like, every gay man's favorite character is Gene. And I literally don't know what it is about the phoenix which every gay man can relate to i think we all just yeah. secretly want to burst into a room and blow everyone away and, <laughs> and, and dom wolverine yes those well, two yeah. things. <laughs> so joe who's your favorite x-man who is your who is your be-all end-all at uh graham elkin lane right i've i've got two which i know is cheating already i the more the merrier i'm a total whore what can i say so the big one is chamber because I love me an obscure X-Man. I love the moody, sort of dark, broody type. Yeah, he's missing half his face and he's just got fire pouring out of it. I know it's not fire before the big geeks sort of start coming in. I know it's not fire. It's a psionic energy force. I totally understand. <laughs> and the other one, which I've got to say, is Pixie because she's one of the only wow. Welsh superheroes in the world. I so, love that. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. You and I both love the Mike Carey run of X-Men a lot, right? That's one we share Oh, as yeah, well. totally. Yeah, love the um, Mike Carey run. I don't know if you realize this, but I just uh, made a huge post about it and talked to Mike Carey about it. But happy 10 years, Age of X. Oh, no, yeah, I saw it. I I think I retweeted it and it was like, Jesus Christ, I feel so old. That was 10 years ago. (laughs) It's like the perfect AU on every level. It has all Mm -hmm. the best characters. Ugh, ugh, great choices. I also have like uh, a pixie story, which I will do if Marvel ever let me at her, where I would introduce the nightmare aspect of her and put a reason for why she looks so different in Age uh, of X as she does in the real um, 616. So, yeah, I have a whole plot. I have whole stories to do with both those characters. Marvel, call me. Oh, please, call him. (laughs) How about the rest of this gorgeous team that, I mean, I hang out with all the time, so, like, I know these answers. (laughs) Perhaps Joe doesn't, and perhaps some listeners don't, because, you know, I'm imagining that, you know, I'm excited for the listeners that are coming for Joe and get to hear you guys. So, tell me... Who are your guys' favorite X-Men as well? Uh, Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. (laughs) Muscle in, Kyle. (laughs) So... So mine is Kate Pride. Okay. Snaps. I, I snap. <laughs> I I just really clicked with her a lot when she was introduced. I mean, I've only been reading for what five six years now, but she was pretty much my favorite character when I was going through the classic giant sized era. And she's total fives. She's quintessential. Yeah, she is. She is. So, Robbie, Robbie, you are you are the quietest person on our show. Yeah. And then every now and then you come out with, I don't know what she was thinking. And it's, I have to know, what X-Man influenced all of this sass? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, characters, I love I would that say one. Definitely. One character that I would say I instantly fell in love with the moment I first saw her would be Emma Frost. And I remember the other gay basic choice. Yes. Yeah, cool. yeah, one hundred percent. Because like when I was a kid, back when like X Men Legends came out, I bought that game, and yeah, I watched like the cartoon and stuff. But you know, I I, I wasn't really introduced to her as like a member of the X Men. 
and then so when i played that game i saw her and it was over with i you know she was everything i wanted to grow up to be you know funny enough you know i teach and um i bleach my hair now so <laughs> i am definitely a natural blonde just like emma frost <laughs> and i definitely publicly went by nico before i read runaways at 17 totally happened <laughs> now raven i have to know right so you You've heard some gay basic choices. You've heard some pretty cool. I've got to be honest, Joe. I love that you were like straight up UK X Men. What? Oh like, yeah, that was just straight up. I love that. And so now I got to know, Raven, where where do you come in? Who is your inner X? Oh, we should all know this. It is Storm. It is Storm. I love Storm. She, like, I got to see her first in um, the X-Men animated series. And I loved how commanding she was. But she didn't have to, like, yell and scream to do it. She's got just this very quiet, beautiful command of herself. But also the way she controls that weather, like that storm within. That Mm -hmm. really spoke to me because that's how I... I had to act like that a lot. I had to keep all of that inside and then just, boy, when it comes out, it really comes out swinging. So yeah, I just, I love her to bits and pieces. I will defend her to the death. Don't ever put her back with Black Panther. I will punch somebody (laughs) in the throat. I'm so tired of that. Yeah, I just, oh, I love her. I absolutely adore her. She is just, "Mm, mm, Okay, so now I have to ask a really, really touchy question, right? What X-Man could you just use a fucking break from what x-man could you just use like one fucking year without <laughs> seeing once for me it's colossus not even a question sad boy gotta go Here's oh my. yeah no, i can see that he's he's he can be pretty boring at times and he's just like the problem is always i mean like i, I don't mean this reductively but he's uh-huh. either he's like seriously either like tolstoy levels of emotional and wrought and complicated or da that is it <laughs> and the only positive i can say about him is he is technically ribbed for your pleasure so, like, <laughs> that's a good thing but i went oh god boy don't open your mouth unless i unzip god damn <laughs> so how about you guys what x-man could you use a, a little bit of a pause on oh i already know the answer for that get rid of beast for a second bye-bye boy <laughs> it's um it's weird again i'm, I'm gonna cheat it's less a single x-man so much as a group of X-Men, but it's just I, I'm so sick and tired of just seeing the same characters all the time and that's essentially a cross between Original 5 and the sort of Jim Lee, Chris Claremont era X-Men characters. And they keep on constantly being put in books and there's so many characters who never get a chance to shine because oh, we're going to have Cyclops in five books or we're going to put Wolverine in every book. Um, <laughs> and for me, I'm just like give them a rest, give them all a break just like, I'm not saying disappear them, kill them or anything like that. just t- just let them have a holiday and let every other mutant get a moment and like you oh, i always hear the argument of that's just like oh you need the big characters though because that's what attracts audiences i'm just like yeah but you never let any other characters become big characters if they never get any time on the page mm-hmm. so oh, i'm just like oh, yeah. give give all of them a rest like they they've worked very hard to get to this Krokoan era let the kids take charge mm-hmm. now raven what x-man mm-hmm. would you give a miss piggy style karate chop to if you could deliver a Miss Piggy style karate chop to any X-Man. 
I think we all okay. So I actually have weirdly three answers to this, and they're <laughs> Cyclops. I okay. fucking despise that tin soldier. He's gotten slightly better, but I oh my god, he can't make a goddamn decision without sucking Professor X's dick first. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> can't stand him. And with that, Jean Grey. They, <laughs> okay. they, they use her with a lot of stuff, but they use her best in combination with Cyclops. Mm. So I think if they were to like go and have a holiday together or you know just you know set up their household and deal with that for like a year i think that'd be really great and you could bring them back as better developed characters mm. and then wolverine i love i love him i love him to bits and pieces but he's in so many books i think just like joe said it takes over roles that other characters could be filling and really developing in and mm-hmm. i love him to bits and pieces but he needs some time to rest and like some time to for us to like grow fonder and need him back instead of just putting him across everything mm-hmm. and i would replace him in several books with ben percy just like actual ben percy instead. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd agree with that. So, Kyle, yeah. I gotta know. Not that, I mean, we've already given away the Miss Piggy karate chop, but <laughs> who would you dispatch off the X-Men for a year just to get a breather from? Pimp Kermit style. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with Raven. I need a break from Logan. He's he's just in so many books. It's gotten to the point where it feels like he's saturated all the stories. Yeah. There are so many other members of the Wolverine family that we could explore stories mm-hmm. with. Yes. So, anything from Tom Taylor's uh, all-new Wolverine. Anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, just let him like take a vacation for a year. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't believe how many of you came from my faves, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I won't edit you guys out of the episode. So, <laughs> Joe, I want to thank you so much for making time. I know, you know, especially with everything going on, not just, you know, the fact that Donald Trump tried to destroy international relations for the rest of time mm. and yeah. defeat any chance of globalism, but, you know, there might be this thing going on, like a pandemic or something. So it's probably been pretty difficult for you to come over here and sell books at the cons that aren't happening. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, I can't even sell uh, books at any cons here. Um, we haven't had a single Comic-Con in the UK now since March of last year. Um, in fact, the just before we went into lockdown, we uh, had to have cancelled our first con, and it literally all started just before the first Comic Con here in the UK, where I was actually going to launch Acceptable Losses, which was my last Kickstarter book at that point. So yeah, it was kind of a case of just like, yeah, I've not had a show to show off the new books which I've made. Um, it's been crap, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I also I would just love to come back to America because like so much of this industry and also so many colleagues of mine are based in America like it's it feels like I don't get to see any of them um and so yeah it's there's the social side of things which I'm missing greatly but yeah it's it's it is what it is we've got to do what we got to do to keep as many people healthy as possible and I totally understand it um and I am lucky in that um a I have a day job and b comics can be done without necessarily like needing to leave a house etc so there's a swings and roundabouts kind of thing to it um but yeah i i i miss traveling i miss going to shows i i miss selling books oh my so, god uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I need them to... for the first time mm-hmm. yeah. 
So yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. Well, anytime you want to come and tell us about any of the amazing projects that you're working on here on X's for Podcaster, talk a little bit more new X Men or why UK mm-hmm. X Men don't get enough respect. All of these <laughs> things sound like phenomenal topics to us. Tell us one more time where everybody can find you and the project that you got going on. Yeah, sure. So um, again, people can find me on Twitter at, at Joseph Glass. Um, I'm on Instagram at, at Joe Glass. Um, all one word, no separations. Uh, the underscore in the middle one. That's a guy who sells marijuana pipes. So that's not <laughs> um, I, I've obviously got the miracles running on Kickstarter at the moment. It is about a family of superheroes um, who are secretly living in the real world as refugees and sort of all their secrets being pulled out into the light. Um, the Pride Omnibus is actually available uh, for pre-order if you go to your local comic shop, if you can go to your local comic shop or give them a call or see what they can do. Um, I understand there's things like curbside pickup in America. So mm-hmm. yeah, do anything like that. Just ask them to get you the Pride Omnibus where you will find every story content of the Pride to date printed in one massive 450 plus page chunky boy of a book. Um, coming out from Dark Horse Comics in June for Pride Month, but you can order it now. Final orders are March the 8th, so you need to call your local comic shop, like, immediately. And yeah, I think that's about it. Like, obviously, I've got all my other books, which um, I would say are available through my website at joeglasscomics.co.uk, but at the moment, I would really much prefer if you backed my book, The Miracles, and you can add those other books as add-ons, um, and it really helps me out. So, yeah, check out The Miracles, Order of a Pride Omnibus, and come give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Yay. Yay. Well, I love it. Joe, thank you so much for coming. And <laughs> thank everyone, you again for having me. And I like that I keep saying coming, like you showed up somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> I described our interview with Ariana as she swung through the studio. And I'm like, <laughs> the fuck studio? I'm wearing a kilt and a tank top in bed. So, like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome back. Nico here again and this next segment was such a blast to edit. Josh leading a room of Drew, Nathan, and Evelyn all talking about the unending hornyitude of Quentin Choir certainly made my day. This issue had a blend of romance and humor and incredible thoughtfulness, not to mention the way that Joshua Kassara takes the art a step forward every single issue. Now, don't take my word for it. Check out this next segment and hear the group talk about it at length. Welcome to a special Valentine's Day episode of X's for Podcast. We're gathering today on February 14th to talk about the very special Valentine's issue of X-Force number 17, written by Benjamin Percy, the sexy lumberjack himself, art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Guru FX, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. Quentin Choir has been dying a lot, and so this Valentine's Day, Phoebe Cuckoo gives him the best gift of all, a reason to live. With me today, I have Drew. Drew, say hello and tell us where we can find you. Hey, I'm Drew. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drucifer3. Uh, Evelyn, where can they find you? Hey, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. And we also have Nathan. Tell us where you can find you. You guys can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram, where I'm probably falling just as hard for Quentin as Phoebe is, and I'm kind of scared about it. 
And I'm Josh Wheel. As always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. And these days, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate to retire Rubio in Florida, you can also find me at Wheel for U.S. Senate, W-E-I-L, the number for U.S. Senate across social media and at wheelforusenate.org. All right, back to X-Force. I love this issue. What a perfect Valentine's Day X-Men issue. I mean, this is probably the best character piece Percy's done yet. Maybe 1A, 1B with that early domino issue before we saw her resurrected. Kasara's art just continues to be next level. There's so much great stuff in here. But I know before we even turn the page and get into the issue, Evelyn, you wanted to talk about this cover. Absolutely. So there's something on this cover that, I mean, we obviously see all of the X-Force people uh, fighting around. And something that we notice is in the, in the, like, the small bottom left corner, we see a comic book. And if you notice, it is X-Force 15. So there's a lot that happens in that comic where we have uh, the Omega Red stuff we have colossus leaving we have the start of like that's like monster thingy that they have to go underwater to get and i just i wonder how that's gonna pl- like if that's a hint about what's happening because we won't get into it right now but with what's happening there's kind of a mystery involved and i wonder if that's a hint about where it's going and where it started and there's like two things it can really start to go off of and i even reread the comic to see see if the page open was anything to go by and that page does not exist format wise <laughs> so I was hoping that would be another clue but that t- seems to just be like something cosmetic but that cover of that comic that's going is X-Force 15 and I just oh it makes me think so many questions and are we going to get answers <laughs> That's a great pickup. I was more distracted on the cover by Domino because I feel like we get Domino on most every cover, even though in only a small fraction of the issues. Um, <laughs> That's true. But yeah, this this has been a really good Percy issue. Like Percy was showing off strengths that he has that we don't see from him a lot. There was a lot of calling back. Um, for me personally, this brought a lot of Riot at Xavier's. Like I think this was the most heavy callback or reflection on Riot at Xavier's that we've seen. Um, I was thinking the do. same thing. You know, he was definitely calling back to some of his earlier moments um, in X Factor um, with with some of the other characters or the threat. He he was tying this into a lot. And I, I like that. I, I don't think we've seen we we haven't seen kind of the quiet character or the romance side of Percy, you know, because sexy lumberjacks have feelings too. Um he can be yeah. he can be a, a, a romantic sexy lumberjack on Valentine's Day. It's it's not all Barbasol commercials and brawny paper towels. <laughs> And yeah, like there was, and 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 it, it it's tempered by you know the art because Kasara just makes everything so beautiful. 
I also think that the colors, like the colors in this, like by uh, Guru EFX, like they're just always so vibrant and they like mm-hmm. really bring out the art, or uh, like especially with Quentin Choir with, with the hair and then um, all the other stuff that we'll see later. Yeah, Guru does a fantastic job of using pinks mm-hmm. in like multiple ways, but really tying the issue together and um, around Quentin, whether it's for powers or flashbacks or emotions or his hair or like a lot of a lot of use of that color to really tie it together nicely we've been we talk about being blessed with like all the artists too but like we've also had an incredible blessing of colorists on these books between marte gracia and edgar delgado and guru fx Um, the the coloring work that we've been seeing on these has just been it's really these comics are beautiful oh my god absolutely i love the body horror like just in juxtaposition with his self-discovery process like seeing all of his deaths like while he's talking about everything that's going on in his mind is insane and crazy and i love it and that acid bath panel right there is like everything yeah there's there's one of him like i i was a fan of him going into the jet turbine um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> a little like meat chunks coming out the back but yeah, how is how is a book that has so much like grade A body horror, like reminiscent, it reminded me of Gail Simone's clean room in some ways, mm. like so much visceral body horror. And yet we still like you close the last like the majority of it. You're just like, oh, it's a sweet like we think of it as a sweet. happy <laughs> How did they do that? Well, I mean, only X-Men can do Valentine's that way, right? Well, I mean, I, love, I like, mean, horror, but yeah. <laughs> Like, just honestly, the marriage between Kasara and Gru EFX, like, just, oh, it's just so well done. Yeah, just, like, even, like, the the different tones they give his mental flashbacks. And then when we jump right into the story itself on the boat, like, just the sharp shift in colors is so noticeable. And yeah, and for me, it's really, you're saying before with the pinks, but in some panels, when you get them in contrast with like dark colors, like you see on those two panels, actually half of it is his face um, on a beach, like uh, eroded basically. And the other half is him in <laughs> front of the moon with like bright pinks and like those dark blues behind it. And it's like very neon. Yeah. Which makes it look stunning. All right, let's go into the book. So we should start with the deaths. There are a lot of deaths. Um, They're very pretty um, and gruesome. And how do you feel? So I'm kind of torn on this. I love... I love when we get this type of art from Kasara going back to the Battle of Lightspoke. It is fantastic, beautiful um, summoner versus Wolverine battle. Um, and we've seen him do this a couple times since now where we're getting these kind of single panel stories in a single panel. And I love that, okay, Quentin's died a hundred times. I'm a little torn at how much story we're supposedly missing or how this timelines, because sometimes 
sometimes it feels like the issues are so tight, like nothing's happening in between them. And other times it's like, no, they went out on 85 missions and <laughs> nothing to see here. Yeah, like it like I feel like we don't need to see all of these mundane missions, at least in when it comes to him, because with Quentin, it's we know he's died 100 times. So we can see this. And even though there's some questions like when he's above like the lava pits, there's like, mm, how'd you get in that situation, hon? <laughs> but um, it's I feel like it's very compact in a way that it leaves you wanting more, but it quickly tells you what's going on. But I would love a like a flashback kind of thing in a future comic. But for this comic specifically, I think this works brilliantly. I'm really upset. We didn't we didn't see Weapon X Bear kill Quentin, right? Like, I really <laughs> like that is like the most horrifying and adorable thing I have ever seen at the same time. I am I like, love Weapon X Bear. It reminds I me of the um, the grizzly bear from the end of um, Jason Aaron's Hulk run. The same. Oh. Like I love I love Weapon X Bear. That was, <laughs> yeah, that As was someone who channel. loves bears, I I I feel like I need this. <laughs> right? I would love a Weapon X Bear plushie. Like please Marvel get us that. Like oh my Are god. Are we sure does 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 uh chairman and CEO of X Podcast, Nico, does he have a uh Weapon X Builder Bear? Are we sure that he doesn't have one? <laughs> Pretty sure not Weapon X one. <laughs> So Quentin dies, and, and Quentin's an interesting character because going back to the way Grant Morrison originally designed him and what we saw, Quentin is your angry, meninist, Gamergate, you know. Quentin is the type of guy originally who would have told Evelyn, you know, do you even comic? Like, do you even know about X-Men comics? <laughs> He's such an incel, Quentin. Yes. Was. Quentin is- <laughs> yes. I will say, I... I'm starting to really appreciate him, but I know I've said this in previous comics. I was not the biggest fan of him before. I I kind of got where he was going with everything, but I'm just like, mm, honey, chill. And, <laughs> and like, oh my god, just the dawn of X, all of the new stuff makes me love characters that I did not before. And I think that's such a thing with all the writers, with Hickman. I think that really shows like their storytelling. They're really getting us like even these types type of douchebag incels it's like <laughs> i kind of like you anyway <laughs> well, yeah, and this is this is the promise of kokoa that there's a new it's a fresh point there is a place for you in this world it's not a world where you have to be desperate or you know you have to fight for your place to survive like it's a world where you can find a new role where you have a fresh start and your past doesn't have to haunt you and i love that phoebe sees this like Mm -hmm. phoebe sees it in quentin because like he shouldn't be dying a hundred times like quentin's way too powerful this for this he's the omega right it's a good funny joke like we love watching him die (laughs) but like she gets that there's something wrong and she sees it and we get this beautiful moment in the hatching i love the way they hatch him because you know he kind of looks you get this kind of strong but weak like real kind of character and then you know he puts the glasses on and he tries acting like a douche again <laughs> and oh. and you kind of get the layers of quentin but like phoebe's there waiting for him she has his glasses and she gives him his memory like and you see then like the face changes you know he goes from being like he's got that like incel face and then she gives him like them cuddling at a sunset and he gets like sweet again 
and you're 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 seeing like what she sees in him and is helping him kind of reach to be to literally quote the comic he just wants to love and be loved like oh my god my whole heart when i read that just oh you guys know how much i'm like i'm a sucker for those kind of moments (laughs) i i think for me this wouldn't have been this jump wouldn't have been possible for me without christina strain's generation x having run because that's when i started to soften soften on quentin i think if that story hadn't taken place in between this i'd have been like wait what the hell this is too much of a jump for me how do i like quentin (laughs) but Christina Strains. I would push it back. I think Battle of the Atom is maybe the first one. I think we really started seeing it when future Quentin came back and had the talk with Quentin, like in Battle of the Atom. Yeah. I think that was kind of the beginning of the the Quentin, you know, growing up maturity tour. That was a solid Um, moment. And and Krakoa gets to be the promise. Like Krakoa gets to offer that for Apocalypse and Gorgon and you know. Frederick J. Dukes and all these characters. Like, <laughs> hey, Soft Fred is amazing. So. Soft Fred is amazing. But okay, so I ha- I do have one question. I mentioned Ride at Xavier's. And in Ride at Xavier's, Quentin was in love with Sophie. And Sophie was the one who died and the one that he lost. And I've been a little torn weird about this. Like, I love the relationship with Phoebe here. But should it be Phoebe? Should it be Sophie? Like, is it weird that it's the identical twin of, like, the girl he loved and lost at the start of his story? I think for that, for me, the fact that he is with Phoebe now and that Phoebe specifically wants him, I think that's the start of a mature relationship, whereas before it was always longing for Sophie. I was about to say, if it was Sophie, I would have hated it. Yeah. Because (laughs) the whole thing was just like... Oh my god, it was so like I'm a nice guy. Like, why don't you like me? Kind of situation, and like the unrequited love, just like oh, I'm friend zoned, and it just those type of tropes where it's just like the guy gets the girl in the end. Like, ugh, no, no, thank you. Like, you're a terrible person. You don't deserve it. Take a shower. Talking from personal experience. Yeah, not only that, <laughs> but it it would be like oh, like. He just ended up killing her, and then for them to get together again, that's just like that. Right. Like, I mean, talk about problematic and just. If kind they of had like, a remember, friendship, and they both didn't we have a like, scene where she first came back and like she hated him, or she came back at some point and well, they were all like, getting didn't... mad. They were all getting mad at Phoebe that because they were seeing he, she was seeing him. Or, like no, I know place. that. I thought we had maybe it was pre Krakoa. I've got you know a million X Men comics jumbled in my head, but I thought there was a like resurrected Sophie scene at some point or in some timeline where she hated, like he was happy to see her and she hated him. I, I, I know exactly oh. what you're talking about and I cannot remember where it was. Didn't they right in the start of the Krakoa era, didn't they all like flirt with Quentin to try to get him to do something? I forget what. If she, if yes. They, yeah. Uh, they, oh yeah. No, no, no. Oh, no they they were, totally uh, manipulate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now Phoebe is, Phoebe was my favorite from the Bendis run. Phoebe, if you remember, was the one who had red hair. So she was the first one, you know, when Bendis started making them easy to identify by making them, you know, Charlie's Angel style, blonde, brunette, redhead. Phoebe was the one that just even though, you know, there's an innate hatred of Jean Grey and redheads in the Emma Frost bloodline. Phoebe was the one who was like, you know what? This teen gene is kind of cool, and I'm going to be like her, and I'm going to be a redhead anyway. Fuck you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love the cuckoos. I love them so much. 
there's a vine oh my god yeah they're like little mini emma frosts like, like... <laughs> who yeah, i would bendis hear in a heartbeat so bendis did a good job of making them kind of unique which yes, absolutely. you know we hadn't seen before they'd always just been like you know the three and one up until that and um and so you know that that phoebe personality that she would be the one who when they're all like ah oh, he's a dick that she would be the one that sees something more is like i don't know i want to you know maybe i'll spend time with him maybe you know he just needs to be loved yeah she was always the more independent of them which i like a lot though even talking about like just the cuckoos they definitely have things for telepaths (laughs) yes and i'm also interested if we get not that we need any more uh phoenix related storylines because lord knows we've had enough of (laughs) no but 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 you know, both of them have had some, you know, feel like that is a shared kind of experience thing as well, that like they've both touched the fire. That is true. It is true. Now they're going to have something in common with Avenger. So. Ugh. But that's also why I love this relationship is because while Phoebe's like, oh, I want to actually get to know you, like she doesn't take his shit, which is beautiful. Like that's such a healthy kind of relationship other than like, oh, okay, we're just going to go with whatever you say. It's like, no, that's what real partners and mature relationships do. It's like you're being self-deprecating. Stop it. And so I want to point out at this point then, you know, because there's the kiss and then there's the sexy lip bite. And I love this. (laughs) I mean, so it's honestly maybe my least favorite art thing. Like it's kind of a weird art panel, but I love it on a, to me, it redeems one of the most questionable parts of this story for me, which was that like every asshole guy just needs a good woman to, you know, like redeem him, you know, like and the whole like, you know, women can fix guys like, you know, if he's broken or an asshole, like all you have to do is love him and he'll be better. Like there was a bit of that around it that I didn't like. Mm. But for me, the lip bite redeemed it in a way like it. I felt like it showed us that Phoebe has it's not that like she's the good one fixing him or redeeming him or making him better but that she's got a little bit of like the quentin rebellion inside of her and that she like sees it that like she identifies like that part of her in him and that she relates to him it makes it more to me it kind of made them more symmetric as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know her saving him or redeeming him i would agree because at first i was like "Mm, is she doing this just to rebel or does she actually like him but when but in the last x-force in 16 where she comes up and just like kisses him in front of everyone rather than keeping it secret it's like oh she has actual feelings and that's awesome because like on some point i was like oh they're just kind of using each other but now it's like oh there's feelings involved and they're actually trying to work through them like the scene at the hatchery where she like gives him his memory back that's amazing like just and she's there waiting for him she I has know. Him, gives him all the good memory like it's so yes it's so good <laughs> like in his, like in her memories like there's a scene of 
them taking selfies together. I'm like, oh my god, Quentin Quire taking a selfie. I never thought I would see the day. <laughs> for for me, I've always had issues telling the cuckoos apart. I can never remember which ones died, which ones were alive, which who's dating who, who's doing what, which one had the red hair, which one had the black hair. Um, and I'm a twin, and I f- I always feel like a bad twin whenever I <laughs> I I can't like tell twins apart. For the the lip biting thing, to me, like the, the just the way the art is done for this if it was supposed to be like hot and sexy i don't really think they 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 made it it looked like it looks more of like a joke to me like a funny moment just because the lip is stretched out so far i felt like is this supposed to be sexy it's kind of weird but but then i did like kind of what it what it represented about her you know that that was that to me spoke more and helped yeah helped balance them i mean i feel like just trying to draw that in general is just very hard so like Mm -hmm. i i just take it with a grain of salt it's like Mm -hmm. i get what they're trying to do and i'm not mad about it because i that's got to be hard to draw yeah and and we cannot we cannot question the artistic skills of one joshua kasara because what we get over the following panels in the next page (sighs) are just Mm -hmm. bonkers beautiful awesome with him unlocking his psyche with a psychic key i'm hearing like sighs and i think we're all just like looking at it right now and it got it we had a little silent moment because joshua's (laughs) art just oh it's beautiful like if the one weird thing is just that little weird bite lip uh, lip bite that that's like the one weird moment everything else is beautiful oh my god so let's go into jumbo carnation because i know we have lots of thoughts about this as well uh, she takes him to Jumbo Carnation, which is another big callback to Ride at Xavier's. Because if you'll remember, it was the murder of mutant fashion icon Jumbo Carnation that led to Quentin's original rioting. So we know Quentin has feelings about Jumbo. There's history here, these characters. And she takes him there because he's trying to be a new Quentin. And so a new Quentin is going to need a new outfit. He cannot still be dressing like a 90s incel. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) It's so true. And these costumes... Oh my so the God. best one, the best one is '90s cable pouchy Quentin, right? Like oh. too pouchy. He's <laughs> my favorite. I don't know about you, but kind of like glob Quentin, where he's like, "Uh oh, too much PPP." I kind of dig the uh, too post-apocalyptic. I think that one's fun. <laughs> That one just reminds me too much of that Greg Land art from the Fraction era where Maddie was like a dominatrix. Maddie was like a sex dungeon dominatrix. I love the tweet that Percy sent out where he's just like, yeah. Uh, me and Kassara were just super like geeks and we wanted to do an 80s fashion montage. So we did. And so it's like he even tweeted that. Like, oh, it, yeah, it's beautiful. It's exactly what it looks like. It's it's incredible. It reminded I mean, me of X-Men 260 where they have. Uh... I was just going to say Dazzler has done this a number of yeah. times. Dazzler <laughs> has done this in 244 and 260. Yeah. I just read one with Rogue doing a similar thing, too. It's always great when Rogue does that. <laughs> Yeah, how do you feel about the final Tron costume that he went with? It's all it's, right. I think it needs a jacket, I think. It needs a jacket. Okay. Because it's it's too plain by, by itself, and it's just, like, it's too simple. Like, it needs some kind of... It's very sword to me. Like, what Ooh. they're doing in sword. It is. It is. Well, and that's because sword is very Tron. <laughs> <laughs> I love this sexy psionic glasses now that's hot yes the thing the thing i like about it is that it's somewhat reminiscent in the cut of 
the X-Men costumes from New X-Men when Quentin was introduced, oh. which I think is a good touch for him. I think that his growing up grown-up costume should be modeled on that era because that's going to be his default when he thinks of grown-ups, like the first group of mature X-Men who trained him. Like I'm sure is what he always imagined himself one day kind of becoming. But I do think it's a little Tronny weird. Like, I was hoping when I was flipping the page, I was like, oh, like, we're going to get, like, there's going to be something awesome. (laughs) I I feel like it's a step. Like, he's still learning how to be mature. So it's a more mature costume. But it's like, I feel like there's definitely going to be, like, some in the future kind of thing. Where are the X's at? Come on. Like, how do you have an X costume without X's? The final page of the book, Jumbo Carnation, under Pink Mind Control. And Peacock Man with a lot of dismembered body parts behind him. He was in the last Wolverine comic picking up a uh, tissue that he sneezed into. To me, this made me, when I saw those body parts in the back, and, you know, we've had the hints that there was another Quentin, that Quentin was the one who killed on the boat, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's a kind of dark Quentin out there. This made me go back to the scene where they were decomposing his body, where Phoebe was spying in and um, on the decomposition of his body after the last attack and healer in the healing gardens, and it had no head. And wondering from all these deaths, has Peacock Man been collecting Quentin parts and building himself an evil Quentin. We actually see the head at the beginning. I noticed it when I was rereading last night. Where, 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 where? where? Um, Yeah, where? (laughs) It's on, so it's on page three of the physical copy um, where he's like, today is a good day not to die. It's half him currently and the other half is that head. Oh, the beach one. Oh. So what I think with Peacock Man, like we've been seeing him collect a lot of stuff. I think he's just making his own x-force i think it's all of them that are just yeah. these gross you know grotesque frankenstein domino, kind of things yeah well yeah he has domino at the very beginning mm-hmm. and then quentin wolverine right? well we have lots of questions after that wolverine issue of where yeah. did that uh, hand with an adamantium claw yeah. come from yeah and then like i guess gene and well gene is not really on it anymore but i mean like mm-hmm. she's still on the cover and stuff so right um, but the book was attacked by like all these evil versions so they have to have like colossus too that's but that's what i'm saying is how did they get colossus and and because he was still there at some point he he was there until he left and we see in the hospital scene where he's like checking the memories of everyone like we see these monstrous grotesque versions of these other x-force members so that's where i'm thinking it's just like oh they're getting ready to go and we notice that we do see multiple ones, but there's some we don't see. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's probably not true, but we've been saying Dark Beast. Mm, I'm just putting it out there. I don't know anything. I don't I don't know if I'm totally off topic or off beat, but I might be. I have a more for that. Oh, my God. No, no, OK, now hold on, because I'm not I don't have my copy of Rose and Candy out here. Magic killed Dark Beast. But how did she didn't she kill Dark Beast and Rose and Candy? 
She did. Because like yeah. they ain't resurrecting Dark Beast. Like they're not resurrecting Adrian. No, Fox. no, 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 no. But but maybe Hank's actually just actually gone and morphed into Dark Beast now. So or there's a Dark Beast clone. Yeah. But I mean Dark Beast has lost. Dark Beast is like Darth Maul. Like you can cut off 80% <laughs> of his body and he'll still like crawl around and build himself a robot, but like he'll be fine. Like how now I'm trying to remember how exactly Ilyana. I thought she cut off his head. Didn't she cut off his head? She cut off his head. I'm trying to remember if she cut him off at the head or the waist. Pretty sure. But maybe head. she just she she stepping disked him into pieces, but I don't remember where the yeah, thing was. I try to block out some parts of that. <laughs> maybe he went and got maybe he went and got Dark Beast's head from Rosencanny. Ooh. I mean he's what? collecting parts and we do know that Rosenberg was setting things up for the future with his deaths. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That is very interesting. I so, love that idea. I will say I I'm not entirely sold on it being Quentin who's the clone thing purely because we saw the whole resurrection thing. So unless there's something going on mentally where there's something like telepathic going on, I which again with all the pinks, it it kind of does kind of show that it's going to be something with him. I don't think he's going to be some sort of clone. I think it's going to be more um, telepath related. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this is going to be uh, the other thing I thought was if it was um, kind of X factor related in the protocols. If what if they thought or assumed Quentin died on one of them and Quentin didn't actually die? What if he has a from one of the many deaths, a Quentin that didn't die and they've just gotten so used to Quentin dying on missions (laughs) that they resurrected him? That's the first thing I thought of. I was like, "Uh oh, X factor failed. Especially since X Factor has priority um, for resurrection protocols. Yes, X Force. Yeah, X Force has priority on resurrection protocols. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So now we have to go back. We have to go back. We have to go back. We We have to talk about the date of hate. So important. We totally got to talk about the date of hate. Quentin told him he he wants him. He gave him specific dimensions for um, (laughs) his redacted to these precise dimensions. I would like to say, like I like I've gone on record as not being a fan, like that much of a fan of the of the data pages. Like I think they're fun, but I don't like take them like too seriously. I they're kind of just extra to me. But this one I fucking love. This is the type of data page that adds like something that's just that's <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's can we stop, please? Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> I know. Like, literally, the- I, I had in my notes, like, I was like, oh, he's too muscly. And then I was like, oh, wait. And I just like scratched it out. <laughs> <laughs> the note at the bottom, like, I know the whole thing is authored by the five, but like that note where it's like, God, he's so annoying. I'm like, you have to know that Hope wrote that part right there. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about eliminating hair follicles and armpits, back, chest, and groin at these precise dimensions as so oh. as to Because <laughs> Quentin waxes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like this oh. big anarchist guy, but he waxes. <laughs> Uh, he's like i want my hair to be rose gold instead of pink oh no now i want it pink instead of rose gold again (laughs) yeah and and they and they go in reverse order so you know the first one on here was you know him telling them you know this is you need to adjust you know my dick to these precise dimensions (laughs) (laughs) to these precise dimensions see attached report 1a (laughs) i drew a picture here (laughs) i love that i drew a picture (laughs) 
And then I love the adjust the eyes so the glasses are a mere accessory. And I was like, oh my God, you're such a hipster douche. Oh, Oh, I love you, but I hate you. Oh, please. He's growing. Like, and that's what this, this was such a great character issue. Um, I mentioned before my, uh, in the green room, my first Percy experience and interaction goes back to his long run on Green Arrow with DC. And I thought he did a really great job. I loved the Ollie Dinah dynamic uh, from New 52 when he was, you know, allowed to bring them together again. And that Ollie was strong for everyone except for her. Like, she was where he could exhale and be vulnerable. And this reminded me of that because, you know, we haven't gotten the we haven't gotten this side of Percy stories in the X-Men really a little bit kind of with some of the Colossus Domino stuff early on, maybe. But we haven't really seen this. And I loved getting that, you know, where he could stop trying so hard to be that thing that he was imaging, that he can grow up, that, you know, she's the one where he can let turn the facade off and be him because she sees him. Um, I thought it was a really nice way of both examining choir and showing his growth and doing that character study, but also detailing their relationship. This was just a, a really really well done comic for for character study and relationships oh yeah yeah and it's like just like the scene where he gloriously like towards the end of it pops all the soda and it like fizzes all over that is so cute yeah because they're still little assholes like that's you know they 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 let the piano crash like you know (laughs) we'll be better we're not going to be perfect but we'll be better And just her just with the glass of champagne, just like lounging while he's getting so all the rest. Frost. That oh is her Emma. God, that is her Emma Frost. And oh she my God. Emma there so much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and she took her to Jumbo Carnation, like him to Jumbo Carnation. Like it's so her mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yep. oh, does that mean we see him at the gala? Is he going to be her <gasps> guest at the gala? I would love Oh, that. I hope so. Oh, I hope so, so much. <laughs> We're all waiting for the Hellfire Gala. <laughs> Hey guys, Nico here one last time, and I love getting to record with Blake and Arturo, and we had such an amazing time talking about S.W.O.R.D. S.W.O.R.D. is such a progressive title from both a storytelling and a narrative point of view. There's something so fascinating about the way the book is both made and the way it reads, and we could not stop talking about it. I mean, this is one of those segments where there's just as much on the cutting room floor as actually made it to air. Manifold takes center stage in an issue that that redefines what an X-event tie-in can be. As always, guys, we love making this show for you, so if you like what you hear, let us know. Drop us a review over on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave us a little bit of love over on Twitter, where you can find us at X's for Podcast. If you like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see, and you might want to check us out over on YouTube, where we're putting up amazing, hour-long style panels that get deeper into the material than we can get onto the show. If you want to help decide where the show goes next and keep the lights on, don't forget to check out our Patreon, which you can find at both of those locations, where you can even help pick the direction the show goes in the future. As always, guys, I'm Nico. We've had a blast. And until next time, we'll see ya. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me online at Nico Action and Twitter and Instagram at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BTMorgan85.
And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Hello, friends. And you can find Manifold everywhere! <laughs> and that seems to be the point of sword number three. So, okay, rewind slightly for a second, because as excited as I am to discuss sword number three by the breathtaking team of Al Ewing... Valerio Skidi, Ray Anthony Height, and Bernard Chang, as well as Nico Leon. Wow, this really had a number of artists pulling in the pencil work. Plus, consistent colors throughout by Marte Gracia, and letters by the amazing Ariana Mar, who, by the way, wants you all to know that it is pronounced like it's in Boston. Mar, right? That's how you say her last name. So this issue was amazing, but I can't even start to get here yet. First question, how much experience do either of you have with Manifold? Slim to none. I read a little bit of Manifold during the Avengers run. I guess it was Hickman. So I got like a little glimpse of Manifold. I'm a sucker for a teleporter. Although Manifold (laughs) is not a teleporter. He is so much more than that. But yeah, I'm a sucker for a teleporter. So I just kind of dig him as a character. This issue was such a delight to like get to know him a little bit more. Now, how about you, Blake? Are you familiar with the not-so-teleporting teleporter? Uh, No. I actually thought he was a teleporter. That was one of the biggest surprises of this issue was the continuous reminder that Manifold is not a teleporter. I think mainly the the Hickman Avenger stuff is where I'm used to seeing him. And if I remember correctly, he, he didn't talk a lot. He had this kind of like mystic vibe. He was often, you know, silent and just he would put the team where they needed to be. And I like this a lot more. I like hearing him talk. I like his swagger. I like that he's got these cool outfits now. I'm kind of starting fresh and I kind of like that. I like this image of him better than what I've seen in comics before. You know, it's funny that you say that, that he was kind of like quiet and just the teleporter. I think that's a a recurring thing that happens sometimes to the team teleporter. That happened with Magic. What was that during the Bendis run, maybe? Yeah, I mean, and she grew up strong and silent with the teleporting. Yeah, it definitely serves a function, like as a writer i can i can understand how it would be easy to just like use the character for that function but this issue does a great job of saying like wait no that's actually a a character who has motivations and personality and familial ties and and it's it's cool to like get more of a grip of of who he is beyond his power so I kind of need to swing my Hickman boner for a second. My first experience with John Hickman was actually on his Secret Warriors, which is one of my all-time favorite titles ever. It is, like, beginning to end perfection for me personally. And that's where I first discovered Manifold. Now, that is actually Manifold's first appearance. So if you're looking to know a little bit more about where he started, take a look at that first arc of Jonathan Hickman's Secret Warriors back in 2009 in issue 4. From there, he would go on to be a major player in a number of the crossovers that would happen in the next few years. He played a hand in Siege before ultimately turning up in the pages of Infinity by Jonathan Hickman. Now, his part in Infinity actually bounced a little bit more around the Kelly Dusu DeConnick issues in Captain Marvel and Avengers Assemble before he found himself in Avengers World and then ultimately Black Panther. The events of Black Panther were referenced in this issue, but altogether, guys, there's less than 100 appearances of Manifold before this. Like, actually less. Sword number three represents his 97th appearance. That, That makes me so happy, though, that now he's a big character. This is exactly like what makes this era so exceptional is that 
they're getting these characters that for all well you know for for all intents and purposes some of them are like a blank slate right or at least to a lot of readers you know like i mean we're we're on a freaking x-men podcast and we have limited uh you know references for this character and now here he is like becoming such a key player on on one of these books and and i think i just think that's so interesting i think that's so much more entertaining than doing you know than having wolverine in every book uh that comes out of the x office uh like give me more of these like obscure characters that you have an opportunity to now flesh out a little bit fully i agree completely yes definitely now we had joe glass actually swing through the show joe glass uh an amazing independent comic book creator and if you're at all a fan of queer and diverse comics coming up in march the complete pride omnibus will be available from dark horse comics so in that way we're kind of using x as a variable variable is for podcast because we're definitely pimping something that doesn't have an x on it but while he was in our studio, he talked for a few minutes about exactly that. He wants to see characters like Pixie and even Chamber, going back a little bit to the 90s, these characters who have all of this potential that are constantly sidelined. And I think Manifold is a great example of a character who's really breaking that mold. He's really coming into his own in a big way. So, okay, now Manifold makes reference to another teleporter that the X-Men do have a lot of experience with. And this is sort of my last preface question, but I'm a big Gateway guy. I love Gateway. Bring me back to the Outback X-Men days anytime. I love Outback X-Men. So I don't really think we saw Gateway here, though. The presence of Gateway was discussed in an intense way. And that's really powerful. We did not see Lila Cheney, but she was on panel, so to speak, at least in his little headset comm device talking to him. And we didn't even see what what she was saying. But I thought that was cool, too. Speaking of like celestial level teleporters that are back in the mix, Lila Cheney. We didn't actually see Gateway. I am glad he came up in such a big way because the little bit I do know of Manifold, I was like, isn't he related to Gateway? But then I wasn't sure, wasn't Bishop related to Gateway? And then I kind of i lose the plot there and i'm like "Mm, did marvel make too many people be related an effort to flesh out their black characters all black people actually do seem to know each other in marvel that's uncomfortable it's a thing it's a thing (laughs) it's definitely a thing but i i think it's really cool that that they place gateway in this place where he's like he's manifolds you know mentor and elder you know i think that's so cool like he's not out there you know on the front lines with uh with a new x squad but he is not forgotten and he is still you know respected and i mean he's you know he's an iconic character i mean i love outback era and you you don't have the outback era without uh without gateway yeah i think he might offer some some agency with manifold too just that that opening scene you know one of my first issues with this dawn of x after like house of x and powers of 10 was i am not super familiar with x-men but i wanted to be and this felt like a jumping on point where I could finally, you know, not have to worry about decades of backstory and maybe like hop in and, and experience this like firsthand and, and not not feel like intimidated. And it irritated me sometimes that they brought in history, but that that irritation then turned into like compulsion and me buying, you know, tons of X-Men comics and, and enjoying like all this history now. But I thought this was a cool moment where like it anchored this teleporter, this this like history of them, especially just like the opening imagery is he He's literally like walking away from his mentor. And then the next, like we have this like beautiful splash of like him going,
going to all these different places. So it, it literally it visually sets him up as like coming out and emerging as his own character, which I thought was like really cool thematically. Can't we have to talk about or acknowledge that splash page real quick? Listeners, if you haven't seen this issue, you absolutely need to to get your hands on it. Pero, uh, pero, <laughs> my day. <laughs> Marte Gracia. <laughs> My Spanglish is coming out as I'm about to talk about Marte Gracia. His art or er, his his colors are so beautiful and so vibrant. I didn't even realize that there were different pencils involved the first time I read it. The colors are so good that it it brings this cohesiveness through the whole issue. Like Marte is on another level with the colors, and that splash page was just absolutely breathtaking. You see Manifold walking through all these different planets potentially dimensions it's just this beautiful you know spectrum of of colors and it really is intentionally a rainbow we were talking to ariana specifically about this issue and she said that as the letterer it is such a pleasure to get these colored pages and then get to react with the the lettering and she's spoken to marte about the sort of rainbow effect he uses on a semi-regular basis how many rainbows he loves to stick in these books and that lusciousness of color really is a specific decision to bring the book to another level visually and i can't get over it either it really does set the book apart and it does make that cohesiveness because i did not realize there were four pencilers on this issue myself right yeah they're hard to pick out uh but i mean you can see it on the the cover of the comic uh it's it's drastically like the names in the bottom corner are, are drastically long <laughs> like there's this huge list of names but yeah it it's just so beautiful and and it's you can't you can't pick them apart which is kind of cool i also kind of wonder like what the purpose was you know too many hands in the pot can sometimes get crazy but it, it wasn't an issue in, in this definitely it was just beautiful on every page yeah I, I would love to know what the story was there you know was this like a time crunch kind of situation was this like on purpose what like what was the purpose of having all these different artists or what was the reason but i mean something that could be potentially very problematic or very distracting at the least wasn't an issue and i truly think it's because the story was really well written and and i think the colors just really tied the whole thing together so beautifully and, you know, I agree completely that I would love to know what happened there. I, having, you know, spoken to editors and writers and line artists, I, it's almost always that there was a time crunch. And it's something I couldn't even believe when she said it in the interview last week. Ariana Mar made the organizational flowchart from Sword Number One. Work. That's so cool. So we're talking about a book where even the letterer is part of the experience that creates the cohesive idea. And, you know, these in this issue, the the data pages were fucking everything to me. The data pages in this issue were such a step beyond the standard data pages by adding color and visuals. Well, I guess we got to get into the issue then, 15 minutes in. So this issue saw Manifold going across the Marvel Universe in a big way, trying to find a way to defeat Null. Now, of course, this is the Marvel Universe, so nothing goes quite right. But one of the things I loved the most was this is a not-quite-X character behaving in a not-quite-X-Men way, in a not-quite-X-Men thing that still felt so fucking X-Men. I was shocked that Sword would use this third issue to go off-world in such an enormous way after the cliffhanger of number two. That actually kind of meant that the cliffhanger of number two was basically the cliffhanger of number three. But, Blake, you said something great. You'd said that for you, 
House of X represented an opportunity to come into the X-Men and get that sort of X experience. Now, Arturo, we've talked extensively over the years, over the years, oh my god, over the months, about how much we love classic 80s X-Men. The X-Men always fucking go to space. That's just what they do. And there's always one of them by themselves. Whether it's Wolverine or Ileana or Storm, one of the X-Men is always by themselves off in space doing spacey things. Blake, Arturo, how did you guys feel about putting the newest X-Man, who's never been an X-Man before, into the heart of this very X idea that doesn't feel very X? Say X again. <laughs> I I love X-Men in space. I am a huge Ed Brubaker fan, and Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire is one of my favorite X stories. It's just, it's beautiful and crazy and wild and full of action. So anytime any X-Man goes into space, I'm very much all for it. And I liked this a lot. I, Sword has just been different. It's, it's setting up something new, um, which, you know, everything about it is new. It's like hyper, hyper technological and different, different mutants doing different things in space and this whole new you know sword ship hovering above earth that also has the fauna of krakoa like growing in the vacuum of space and it's just so new and fucking crazy and and i liked that i got manifold in this to like guide me through it by not teleporting and by learning more about his power you know he's a really great spy uh he's he's not just a person that can move a team from point a to point b this issue made him so much cooler so much more powerful so much more powerful. He's almost overpowered. And I think that's something that they they keep driving home here about him not being a teleporter, about him talking to space. I mean, he's almost like one of the Infinity Stones, you know? Yeah, he's like a Jamie. He's like a Jamie Braddock, where he literally bends reality to his will. Yeah, yeah. That was, and, and I agree that it was so cool to see him as a spy and doing, you know, reconnaissance. Well, I guess, I guess before we got there, the little interlude in the middle with the snark war character that looked a lot like Pog your Pog. Your Pog. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, man, remember when we all lost our minds for a crocodile looking character last year? You lost your mind. I lost my best friend. All right. <laughs> I loved that thing so much. <laughs> Well, now here's the question. Do you like the Matroshka Pogger Pog inside of Pogger Pog? Or do you like the bigger Pogger Pog that Pogger Pog was wearing? Say Pogger Pog again. It was a pure physical attraction. Yes, just it that, was just only outside. Pog. Yeah, when the little Pog came out, I was like, well, this is just horseshit. No, yeah. This the, is but, later in the first season of Twin Peaks. Got yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I wanted I wanted Ileana to 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 like take Pog as her as her pet so she could walk around riding him. Yeah, like a like a buddy cop, Ileana and Pog your Pog. That's all I wanted. I was like, I'll buy that X book, put it out. And then nope. I definitely started something sexual, so that's a very different version of lethal weapon than I was expecting. All I'm saying is Exosource was a wild event. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's great that one, it's interesting that Manifold like has an in with this guy. Like he's one of the like I, I don't know anything about the Snark War, right? But this this issue did a good job of giving you a little data page, giving you enough information to understand there's a lot more going on. Don't worry about it. We're not going to get into it all, but here's what you need to know. And I think it was cool that Manifold just kind of went and spoke to this guy, trying to talk him into basically helping Earth against Null kind of reminded me like, oh, I guess that's what this is, this is about. Because I'm doing my best to just kind of ignore and or forget 
forget it's happening when it comes to the whole null event. I know I'm not maybe in the the majority on this pod. I know I know we've got some some null heads, but it's just not been my my thing. So I love that this issue, although it is a null issue and there is definitely null things going on, I love that it wasn't bogged down in that. I love that we weren't just like fighting goo dragons, you know. I, this this was like a more interesting way to work around the problem than just fighting null. So I, th- I, I appreciated that. And I appreciate- It was a cerebral attempt, yeah. Right. Totally. And, and I appreciate that there is all of this like- political drama and upheaval going on in like galactic marvel right like and we've seen we saw a little peek of that in the recent x-men issue you know where they're in shiar space and they're talking about the you know the galactic economy has collapsed and 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 this snark war is like another piece of a bigger puzzle so i mean i i like that and i think it's important for sword to to play in those playgrounds so i'm not reading the null crossover event right now i Either. I, I may eventually. I, I think a lot of people that know me on and follow me on Twitter know that I'm an omnibus slut, and I will buy those. <laughs> as, you know, I and I'll always buy them. And but that's, I, I mean, it's a cost efficient way to to experience these events. I really like that, even though these are technically tie in issues, they still don't really feel like it. They give you enough of the event to like know what's going on, but it's also carrying its own story and it's highlighting its own characters, and it's not just rehashing. You know these the the main six event issues that Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman are working on and I think a lot of uh, comics need to pay close attention to the first few issues of Sword because this is how tie-ins should be yes. tie-ins should it, it shouldn't interrupt your story you should still you know you shouldn't feel like oh well I can skip issues 8 to 12 because it deals with this event like you should still be able to buy those and read them and get something out of them which Sword is definitely doing I really liked the scene that you were just talking about our where the intensity of their discussion of uh, the, this threat of Null is so great. So coming as someone who hasn't read any of these issues yet, now that now I know that Null is so great that mutants are willing to sacrifice mutants as as coin, you know, as like as like bit mutant coin, and they're using this to like trade for uh, firepower uh, for for you know help in defeating this thing that has invaded earth and i thought that was huge and how when he's when he says like well you know like most people don't survive the experience and he's like yeah they're they're kind of hoping for that and it, but so even even with the the ability to like bring these mutants back to like offer these ex-soldiers as currency for help in defeating this threat i was like okay like you have anchored me into a situation that i am very unfamiliar with and just in one issue like that's, that's crazy that was a weird beat there was a moment of where you're kind of like, wait, is Manifold selling these guys out? Have they agreed to this? Is this, this smells of, of Hank McCoy a hundred percent, right? Like that seems like, uh, like the kind of, the kind of deal that Beast would be only too happy to make nowadays. So yeah, that was a weird, you know, little moment where it was kind of like a, a different way of appreciating and understanding the value of mutants and their powers. And it was a discussion of acceptable losses, you know what I mean? And this ridiculous character that Manifold goes to out in space who's like, um, so here's the thing. I get that you want to stop Null. I do. I get that. But I will find it a lot easier to take over the world after Null has destroyed everything. So I'm just going to let this go, and you have to be okay with that. 
And Manifold was like, um, if even the mutants are being reasonable, and half of this issue was about people being like, wait, even the mutants are being reasonable on this? Maybe we should get involved, right? Like, we see this huge dramatic sense of lives for trade as a constant theme throughout this issue, and I can't think of anybody who better represents trading lives for safety than Gyrick. Now... Gyrick has been everything to the Marvel Universe over the years. Leader of the Avengers, guy out to destroy all mutants. Gyrick is always a big deal. Now, Blake, as somebody who has a little bit less experience with the 80s X-Men, you might not be as familiar with Gyrick, but this guy is a fucking cockroach. And he is always under the X-Men's feet with that dumb red flat top. And I just can't stand him. Arturo, when he popped up and all of a sudden he's part of Orchis, how did that affect your understanding of S.W.O.R.D.? I mean, that really put it into the heart of the X-Men, classic and new. Well, I mean, first it was kind of a refresher course that Henry Peter Gyrick is now involved with Alpha Flight. And that was just like a whole thing, right? I, 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 Henry Peter Gyrick for me is exactly what you said. Mutant-hating bureaucrat. A bureaucrat's bureaucrat, right? Like he's kind of like how Senator Kelly plays a role, a very specific role in the X universe. Gyrick the mutant Mitch McConnell. Essentially, yes. That's, that's very, uh, that's very topical. Yes. Yes, absolutely that. He's he's just an awful person. So seeing him involved, that was that got me excited because I was like, oh, humans being horrible, a threat. This is great. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm excited. Seeing Manifold take on this role as like a spy, little uh, corporate espionage, stealing the file and getting the intel, like that was great. But I about lost my mind when I saw the Orcus org chart because that coupled with the the image that we saw for an upcoming x-men issue i think it's x-men 20 that had nimrod's big beautiful pink face on it has me terrified i am like just last week on the pod i was talking about how i'm i'm so glad that we're not rushing to that big confrontation because like my biggest fear is krakoa ever ending so yeah i mean that it definitely had the desired effect like when he opened that file like I gasped. I was like, oh shit, these guys are back in play. They make sense as a as a good counterpoint for Sword, right? I'm terrified of what's going to happen next, but it just makes sense that Henry Peter Gyrick is part of it. Now, Blake, did that name have any caveat for you? I know you said that you have a bit more experience around the Marvel Universe. Perhaps you were familiar with him from his Avengers stint, or perhaps his Alpha Flight stint. Or was that one of the things where you were like, okay, this is an X-Men thing. Nod along and let everybody else on the podcast get really excited. I do- just was like oh it's a dirty politician i didn't know the history of him even then another way that this series and this issue just excels in every minute way is even though like i wasn't 100 percent sure who this person was what happens after you get introduced to him when we see the file and we get the new chart textual page but also when he mentions that there's a mole in sword and it's like whoa like whoa. there's this is big and so even though i didn't have the connection that you guys did to this Marvel cockroach, I, it still had a very huge impact on on the page for me, and the reveal was very big. You know, like going back, like you know, yeah, I, I'm really glad. Like this uh, House of X and Powers of Ten stuff is coming back. I love Nimrod. I think everybody misses Rasputin, and I think a lot of us were hoping that like the sword event would bring her back somehow. Which I, you know, now we realize that like no, of course that's not what it was meant to be at all. All this stuff is like adding up in weird ways, and I'm just getting really excited about it, even though like I'm ignorant to a lot of it. It. And I'm just like, I'm just like this whiteboard that I just like paint me like you're, you're pretty French girls. Like just, 
draw on my body and let me experience the epicness that is sword so i got weird but i'm just i'm really excited about this series i love sci-fi i love x-men i love space i love so much charts i love org charts a lot I really love a good flow chart. I can't even tell you. I love it. I, I wonder if Ariana Mar had anything to do with this one. Oh, sadly, she did not. We discussed it. I was like, which ones did you do? Which ones did you do? And she was like, I didn't do any in three. Please calm down. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that. I, give me a good redaction too. I'm a sucker for that. Like, because I want to see this whole chart filled out. I want to know who are the other assholes from the other acronym organizations that are going to play a role here, right? Like, we're going to have somebody from S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to have somebody from AIM. I bet we'll have some Hydra people like I'm a sucker for villains putting aside their bullshit and joining together just to be villainous together. So yeah, I mean, I hate Orcus, but I'm I'm glad it exists. I think it's a good counterpoint to, to Krakoa. But I just I just don't want to get to any any kind of you know, resolution anytime soon. Um, but can we all agree that Gambit is probably the mole? I know he's not even in this book, but if there's a mole on the X-Men, it's pretty much Gambit. So, you know, and that's that's just more of me making fun of the fact that the X-Men have had a mole every significant run going back about 40 years. There's always somebody secretly infiltrating the X-Men at all times. And, I mean, like six times it's been Gambit. But one of the things that's so daring about this title is how many characters hang out in the background right and how many of them we didn't even see this issue like i professionally hate fabian cortez like that's like a high up thing on my list of things i do i wake up in the morning i clean the crust off of my eyes i rub my face to make sure it's still there i hate fabian cortez i put on my slippers like that's the order of my morning so i loved not seeing him but the other thing that that meant about this issue was so much of what happened in this issue was meant for us to ruminate on and think about because this issue and issue two sort of play a magical balance game three doesn't make as much sense without two right before it setting up the importance of everything he's doing but the nature of two's decompression made it so that the majority of sword the characters were in the previous issue but the plot was here i find that balance really interesting because it's a way in which ewing as a structural writer understands pacing far beyond many of his contemporaries like Mm -hmm. not to fanboy about it but the pacing on this issue is so stunning it reads like a movie and that's so true of so much ewing that i've read at this point specifically sword in general the pacing on this title carried me to the end so that when yeah i mean i was kind of annoyed that the ending was oh look it's nullified kid cable again like okay that was the last issue's reveal i didn't need it to be this issue's reveal but i was so taken out of the moment that sword was in by this issue that i had no problems being like oh i'm surprised again sort of do you guys feel that knowing how powerful manifold is that he is essentially affecting quantum reality do you think that he is i mean like i i just kind of i feel bad but like kid cable yo you're about to get your ass handed to you for the second time in two crossovers I don't feel good for you, buddy. Do you guys see Kid Cable and Manifold in, you know, this upcoming next issue? Do you see that being a fair fight for either of them? Well, what we are shown in this issue and what Manifold is capable of and how he can not only like affect time and space, but I mean, also matter like he when he makes himself invisible, he's he's kind of he's not there. He's in this other place. When that reveal happens in the end, I was kind of like I was I'm not worried about Manifold. That journey that he he takes us on in issue three like when he goes through that krakoan portal and is faced with that 
that and we see all these mutants like sprawn out and defeated everywhere i don't feel that as a threat because i'm like well they just showed us that like you know he manifolds all out of bubble gum so he's just gonna kick some ass <laughs> And I'm ready for it. And I think it's going to be a really unique a battle of displacement, invisibility, cloaking, and whatnot. And and, and I just, yeah, I'm not, I, he's going to, yeah, Cable's Cable's going to get his pretty little ass kicked. And I'm okay and with it. Thank God for this art team. With everything oh. you just said, thank God for this fucking art team. Yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be very beautiful, as as is everything. It's going to be beautiful and colorful and lettered well, and, and there's going to be fun sound effects, hopefully. And yeah, when does four come out? Tomorrow? Like, how long do we have to wait? <laughs> I need yeah, it now. I'm actually going to manifold myself to four real quick and let you guys know how it is. Guys, I'm a fool. I didn't even realize that that was Kid Cable. I, I'm I'm embarrassed to even admit that. And I guess that's part of my, I don't know, I guess like the way that I just like, I see null stuff and I'm just kind of like my eyes gloss over that I didn't even catch that it was Kid Cable. I didn't notice it till this morning. You know, I read the comic and then let it simmer and then kind of flip through and take some notes and think about stuff I can say to make you guys think I'm smart. Art and the, <laughs> the second the second read through, I was like, oh, because I thought it was null. Like that's kind of I was like, oh, thought, yeah. null's here. And then the the second time, I was like, oh, his eyes all lit up, and I was like, oh, oh, ding ding ding, light bulb. Fabian Cortez is strung up in symbiotic goo and looking like he's having a really shitty day. That makes me so happy. I knew because, it. <laughs> you know, Fabian Cortez, and I, it's. When you think about what the comics code put comics through, right? When you think about the effect of the comics code on the state of what was fiction, right? It's not that you couldn't have a vampire, so Morbius had to not be a true vampire. That's actual bullshit. But they couldn't really do a drug store. So Fabian Cortez really is like a saddle drug pusher. And it just so happens he's Latino. And I there's just things about him that are so 90s. It's kind of sad. But this idea of updating him to like... He has this really stressed, crazy eye look that I can only express as he looks kind of like the Earth Queen from Legend of Korra with those fucking crazy eyes that there needs to be something done to move him forward or, for lack of a better term, destroy him permanently. And I feel like S.W.O.R.D. is at least putting in the effort. You know, we talk a lot about how X-Factor is character rehab. And now we have to start talking about how Hellions is like hateful character rehab in a really good way. But I feel like Sword might lead to some character rehab. Like, I really can't wait to see Blink get her fucking due finally. I mean, she's not my Blink, but she's a Blink nonetheless. Yup. Blink, Lila Cheney skids i hope we see rusty show up here like we got peepers we've got so many obscure characters here and and i just i hope the x office is paying attention and i hope they're planning on more books like this like and i'm sure we're going to reach some point of saturation where it's like okay we're good like we just got the announcement x corp is coming super excited about that i love these kind of books and i love that the the creative team doesn't feel like okay i have a cast of say a dozen people so they all have to be in every issue like it that's not yep. that's not even viable you know what i mean like take a take a, an issue to move the story along and give us a character beat like that is so much more worthwhile than you know just splash page after splash page of like let's go fight some 
faceless aliens. This is just so much more interesting than what it could have otherwise been. I don't want to fanboy too hard on Al Ewing, but I'm super. But if you're gonna fanboy that hard, this is a good one to fanboy on. Yeah, it's he's a he's a good he's a good one to drool over that guy. Yeah, yeah. Evidently, from what we're hearing from the people who work on the titles alongside him, his scripts are just so killer and so tight. He knows exactly how he wants to lay it out, and he really delivers. I'm excited to see the future of S.W.O.R.D. If for no other reason, these three issues were nothing like I thought they were going to be at the end of Empire, when that was the first time we really saw this coming. They are nothing like what I thought they were going to be in the pages of Ten of Swords, that's for sure. So I'm excited about this bold new sword. That's a weird statement, but I'm excited. Who do you guys think is the mole? I mean, uh, what if it's what if it's Brand? Ooh, that would be a twist. That would be a twist. Uh, I mean, my first thought was Mentalo, but now thinking about it, Fabian Cortez. I mean, might be he might be too obvious a choice because Fabian Cortez is a dick first and foremost. He's an ass-sniveling dick. That's what's really important about him. If you don't mention the ass-sniveling, then it's not really Fabian Cortez. He is such a bottom feeder that has somehow risen up to the top with the cream that the spotlight on him would make him a very difficult mole, I think. I have to wonder if it is possibly Brand. Like, maybe she has seen where her ex-boyfriend Beast is going and is actually kind of concerned about the future of mutancy overtaking humanity. I mean, that is where she started. She started in the pages of Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, which featured her as the leader of S.W.O.R.D., who actually kind of did some not-so-nice things to Colossus in the name of the Break World. So she does kind of have a history of coming at mutants pretty hard. Well, and it's been, you know, pretty clearly established that like her goals right now are aligned with Krakoa, but they remain her goals. She's not here for the good of Krakoa. It's established like she thinks in much bigger terms and she's thinking about, you know, solar systems, not states like, which is cool. Like it's a, it's a cool character beat, but it does make her kind of a ruthless pragmatist and it's all too easy to just get caught up in the gears and just be an acceptable loss to to abigail brand so yeah i mean i think that's going to be a really interesting you know thing to to explore she's such a boss and we do know from the second issue that she's she's got some kind of like backup plan for the five, like to take them off world and take them somewhere else. So she's already kind of like put herself in a position to surpass the council as like a new entity in this, you know, new age of X-Men and Krakoa. She has like her foot in a really intense and almost dangerous place. And they're using this null invasion as a as a means to allow her to do that. But still no one really knows about it. And so that's kind of what when I when I heard about the mole and being being familiar with her and Beast's relationship from Astonishing, that's what kind of me. I was like, man, I wonder because, like you said, Arturo, she's she's so pragmatic. The, she thinks about the universe not as like a state or an area of land. I could see her making a mess of stuff real easy. You know, one thing that I find that this Abigail Brand stays very true to the Joss Whedon um, Abigail Brand that was introduced is she's like burdened by this responsibility that it feels like no one around her understands and she kind of kind of feels like she's quietly frustrated but she's accepted that that she's the only one in the room that gets it that gets this perspective that has this this view of things and nobody else is going to get it and don't even don't even bother trying you know she's just like don't just stay out of my way 
I got it. Like that's kind of her view of command. It does feel like if you read the Astonishing Run, it feels like the same character. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And I, I always liked her. I actually liked her and Beast together. Like all the, just the jokes of like, <laughs> like no, but don't give Beast anything nice. No, <laughs> Beast can't have a nice green haired lady. Just like Alex couldn't have a nice green haired lady. Neither can Beast. If you want a super cool, badass, green-haired queen, if you're looking for some vertigree, you gotta earn it. I think I, I honestly would love to see Beast and her get back together. Yes, I agree. Beast shouldn't have nice things right now. But yeah, he's terrible. But I like Beast more nowadays than than I think I ever have because I just find him more interesting nowadays. You know, I mean... Acceptably evil. And it's not completely evil it's you know justified by this that or the other and it's it's just it's so good and it feels so deliberate and so slow and earned i like our dark beast project that's that's happening in this era i like that you said dark beast because it's so funny how many times beast is put up against the dark version of his apocalypse self and how he tries to differentiate himself so hard he's like i'm not the monster you are but what does history show us he kind of is that monster he has that ferociousness inside of him he he lets go of like these human emotions and lets the scientists take over which is essentially what dark beast was Mm -hmm. and i really like that that twist of emotions and how that plays into it plays into like x history not just new stuff it's it's like this reoccurring motif it's how dr fucko phd wound up gray and then blue in the first place he was like this isn't going the way i want time to experiment And like, now he's blue and gray. So he was gray for a few issues and then they had to update the color to blue. Funny story, Marvel loves to color characters gray and then say, oh shit, this doesn't look good. And then change them a couple of issues later. This happened with the Hulk. This happened with Beast. You just find a color that works better. Is that really the explanation? I had no idea. Yeah, so colors in comic are, I'm going to cut this, but colors in comic are done by what's called surprint. It's actually several layers of printing just specific colors on top of one another in certain orders to get what a comic book looks like. And in the 1960s, they had thought that they could use gray because they had already kind of promised away too many colors in their development of these characters. And they tried to make Hulk gray and it washed out too much. It uh, was just a little too flat looking, which is why earlier editions of Hulk comics look like shit now. So they changed him to green after eight issues or so because they realized that they could do a really popping green after they came up with the solid permanent orange for the thing. And they made him green. And then they said, okay, well, now we don't have any gray major characters. Let's, when we make the beast gray, when we make the beast furry, let's make him gray. They made him gray. And once again, surprint order, the color sheets, the way they get printed, led to him looking like mud. So he's actually been recolored a sharper gray in all of the reprints to leave him gray. But then he becomes blue after his fourth issue. Don't cut that. That, uh, that is all fascinating. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I, that's news to me, man. 